Turn in our Bibles to John chapter 21. We, um, verse 30 and verse 31 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to be able to have your word. We, we are, uh, some, some of us and maybe most of us are aware of the incredible hard work that's gone into preserving it, translating it, and, and putting it into our hands. It is the privilege of our life to have your word in front of us and to be able to learn from it, to be able to be transformed by it. And I pray, Father, that you would do just that today, Lord. I pray that we would learn, that we would grow, and that most of all, Lord, we will see Jesus. Just help us, Lord, to go deeper with you or even to be introduced to you and then to be equipped to serve you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the things that it's quite challenging for me um, in uh, being a pastor and, and, and sharing um, about God with people and about the Christian faith with people, Jesus, is it's amazing to me not only how I was, but how much there is of caricatures of Jesus, you know, uh, I remember growing up and, and just, just thinking of Jesus, of this skinny guy on a cross, and just thinking, what is that about? I knew it had some meaning to me, but it was, you know, I just, I just had a caricature in my mind of who he was. And many times when we talk to people, we realize that there's a lot to undo before we actually even get into who he is. And what I love when I began to read the Bible is that the Bible strips away our small view of Jesus and penetrates our hearts and our minds and, and, and completely enlarges us through uh, just the knowledge of who he is. And here, John writes this letter or this, uh, this document of who Jesus is. By his experience, in, in the first letter of John, he says, that's which we have seen, which we have handled concerning the word of life. This we proclaim to you. And then later on, he says, we write these things that your joy may be full. And so here he writes, I write these things about Jesus so that you may know that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, you may have life in his name. My intention today, because we've been away for a while, is to have a recap of what we have been studying in the book of John. In a couple of weeks, we'll start with the woman at the well. I, uh, and, but I thought, you know, as we were getting to the woman at the well, I just felt like I, I wanted to refresh even my own mind of the last few um, uh, things that we had been learning till now. And John says that you may know that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, 
as you see who he is and you put your trust in him, you may have life in his name. There's a big difference between existing and living. And when the Bible speaks about life, it speaks about a quality of life. Jesus even associates it in his prayer with, this is eternal life, that they might know you. But you know, this knowing Jesus, as we look at this um, document and as we, as, as, at this gospel, and as we look at the, the people that it's been telling us about, we realize that it's not something that necessarily happens overnight. It's a process. You see that Jesus uh, comes to Peter and comes to Thomas at, uh, and, and comes to the thief. And it's a process of them being introduced to him and it brings them into a confession before him. I mean, Thomas was chosen to go follow Jesus and then when Jesus died on the cross, he says, unless I can put my fingers in his wounds... I will not believe. I'm just like, my goodness, you've been with him three years. But he hadn't. He hadn't believed. There was a process. There was things. There was doubts. There was skepticism that was going on in his heart. But eventually, he said, my Lord and my God, to Jesus. The process of, of what God was doing in his life brought him to see Jesus as he is. Not a caricature, but the majestic king, the majestic God. To Peter, Peter is the most evident example of it being a process. Jesus starts speaking about going to the cross. Nope, you will not go to the cross. Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Then he cuts somebody's ear off. I'm with you, Jesus, although everybody denies you, I will not. And next thing you know, he, he, uh, he gets challenged. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? I have no idea who he is. But it was a process that was happening in his life. With the thief. It's amazing. They're all three at the cross. Two thieves and Jesus in the middle. And they're, they're, they're actually assaulting him. But something happens in the heart of one of them. And he says, what are we doing? He's done nothing wrong. We deserve this. And he says to me, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Something happens. And John is communicating this process in his discovery of Jesus that caused them to finally confess and surrender. John is not just writing uh, a tree, uh, you know, a document. He's writing his very experience, the things that he has seen, the things that he had experienced as he saw Jesus, as he experienced Jesus, as he, as, he, as he began to understand who Jesus was according to the Old Testament, how he fulfilled everything in his presence. And the other day, somebody wrote me. No, so, sorry, somebody sent me from Northern Ireland, funny enough send me a picture of a dog looking out the window of a house and the caption just actually absolutely rocked me. I think it was supposed to be funny, but to me it just shocked me. 
it said, the caption said, there must be more to life than being a good boy. I was shocked. First of all, it challenged me in my parenting. Be good. But then I thought about life. There must be more to life than just being a good person. Man, I don't know if you, if you guys know, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I actually, when I joined the U.S. Army, I, I became a Mormon because my best friend was a Mormon, and I was so intellectual that because he was, I just became one too, you know? I just thought, this is a great thing. And, and so, but, but, you know, everything, the emphasis was about being good. And if you were good, then you, had, then you could have a, a, a good future. And if you were good, then you could have a good marriage. And then you could even have a celestial marriage. And eventually, you could have your own planet. And, but every, the emphasis was about being good. There was no discovery of who Jesus was, who Jesus is. And here we looked at it. We looked as we, as we look at John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling upon us. I mean, my goodness, John is saying, just, it's not about, I mean, he was a good boy. John was a good boy. He was a good Jewish boy. But when Jesus comes in, he finds a redeemer. He finds a king. He finds a creator. He finds someone. He finds his savior. The pre-existing creator became flesh. And we have to be really careful that we don't allow ourselves to, by people, and by culture to be told who Jesus is. But they were told by the Bible who Jesus is. And C.S. Lewis wrote this. I just, I find, this is one of my favorite quotes from, from him. I mean, I, I have another one I want to share with you later, but he says this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he... he you, you know, you, you cannot read the Bible and the things that Jesus says and just think, oh my goodness, he was just a, this, this, this amazing good teacher. No, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's an exploring, there's, there's an majesty, there's an amazement, there's a discovery of who Jesus is. And you know, there's this thing where also we, we looked at as we were studying through it um, in chapter one where Jesus asks questions. 
It's so amazing to me that, you know, there are 300, I guess there are, I, I didn't count them myself, I, I read this. There are 307 questions Jesus asked. And they were not just sort of curious questions, they were actually soul-searching questions. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 38. What do you seek? What are you looking for? What do you want? He asked in Luke, what are you talking about as you walk? He asked, do you have anything to eat? He asked, do you love me? He asked, but who do you say that I am? He asked, why do you not understand what I am saying? He asked, where is your faith? Why could you not watch with me one hour? And here, the, the one that interests us today is, what do you seek? And they are soul searching because initially it just seems like, what are you looking for, John? What are you looking for, uh, Andrew? What are, you, what are you seeking? And they're just like, uh, where are you staying? But of course, there's multi-layers to the question, isn't it? It reminds me of the story of the, the Jewish rabbi who was, in, um, who was in Russia. And he went and, he, and as he was walking, he passed through to a military base. And all of a sudden, the Russian soldier said to him, <laughs> sorry, I, I, he said to him, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And the Jewish rabbi said, Say again. And he says, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi said, How much do you get paid? And obviously there's, obvious, there's a tension. What do you mean? He's like, I will pay you just as much if you would ask me that every day of my life. Who are you and what are you doing here? Jesus goes, what do you seek? What do you want from life? I remember Loretta and I, uh, where is Loretta in here? We had a, uh, when we first got married, my goodness, man, the sparks flew. And I remember at one point, us asking each other, where are we going? But Jesus will ask, will, will cause us to ask serious questions, not to entertain ourselves where we don't think deep, but will ask things that, that makes us think about life. And one of my favorite things in the New Testament is when the Apostle Paul asked Jesus, who are you and what do you want me to do? Two questions that never left his life. But he makes us to, he, you see Jesus in his wisdom asking deep questions. But he doesn't ask questions just for the sake for us to ask ourselves questions. But he also has the answer to our questions. John and Andrew said, what do you seek? I mean, sorry, he says, where are you staying? And Jesus says, and this is, this is, I mean, this is what blows me away. Jesus says, come, come, and you will see. 
This is an immediate invitation. But this is a multi-level invitation of what he intends to do in John, particularly for me, in John's life. It goes for Andrew as well, but with, with John, it's just out of this world. It's an invitation, come and you will see. And no doubt that day he saw where Jesus was staying. But that's not all that John saw. You see, John saw Jesus heal the blind, give sight to the blind. He saw Jesus giving hearing to the deaf. He saw the lame walking. He saw the condemned forgiven. He saw the temple cleansed. He saw the Jewish rulers rebuked. He saw the compassion of Jesus in feeding the 5,000. He saw the love that Jesus had to people. Jesus did nothing that was not motivated by love to people. He saw the grace and the mercy. He saw the fear, the arrest. He saw the suffering at the cross. He saw the hopelessness at the funeral. He saw the resurrection, the unspeakable joy and perplexity even. He saw the ascension. He saw the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the intimacy and the power that went through with that. And he saw the conversion of 3,000 people, the amazing work of God. Listen, guys, whenever Jesus invites us to come and see, he's not shortchanging us. He's got intentions. But it doesn't even stop there. You read the book of Revelation, and John says, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. And all of a sudden, this come, and you will see, is transcendent. It's huge. And so maybe we feel like that dog (laughs) looking out the window. There must be more to life than just being a good boy. And Jesus says, oh, my goodness, there is. Oh, my goodness, there is. And we also looked at the sign that Jesus, the first sign that he did was at a wedding. And this this particular sign, this particular miracle is probably the one that perplexed me the most all the years of my Christian life. I I, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it at all. And this year, it just blew my mind. Mary says to him, hey, they ran out of wine. Do something. And Jesus says, what does that have to do with me? And then he does, he does it. And he turns. He asks them to put water in these six pots that were for, actually for cleansing, ceremonial cleansing. And he changes the water to wine. And some of you guys are going, hallelujah. But he changed the water to wine. Six pots, each one of those pots, according to some measurements I saw, it's 136 liters. That means it's 816 liters in the six pots. That means it's about 1,088 bottles of wine of our current time size, 0.75. That's a lot. 
for a little wedding. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, wine was a sign of God's grace. And John has already told us that he's lavishing grace upon grace. And it's interesting that he changes the ceremonial cleansing water for wine, which will be a symbol of communion. This is my blood. And this year, I just saw it for the first time. It, 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 the sign itself points to the very intentions of Jesus. The going out. It's, it's as if to say, you won't need those cleansing jars anymore. I'm providing something infinitely better. And so what Psalm 23 says, my cup overflows. He's declaring his intention that he's going to redeem man. A transition from the purification water to the new covenant. And notice this. It was at a wedding. What is the intention? The intention is the wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. A sign to point to what he was doing. And then we looked at the temple and the cleansing of the temple. And, and the temple was a place that was to be a meeting place with God. It was the place that the Jewish people from around Israel were able to come and were, were able to meet. The priests were able to go in and offer sacrifices. The high priest would go into that Holy of Holies once a year. But it was a place of fellowship with God. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is when it says that Moses came out of the tent. But Joshua stayed there. It, it, he, he just didn't depart the tent. He just loved to be as close as he could to God. It was a place of meeting. A couple of years ago we went to Israel. And, it, and, and we went to um into those, by the wailing wall, there's some tunnels, and, and we went to the place that was supposedly the closest place there was to the Holy of Holies. And there, there was a Jewish girl, she must have been in her 20s, and she was just curled up in a corner, trying to be as close as possible to the presence of God as she understood it. And in some ways, it was like that in the time of Jesus. And what they, the high priest of the time, Annas, he was known to be a great hoarder. And his sons, his sons had made the court of the Gentiles, there they made a market, they made a bazaar. And they were cashing in money where they were supposed to be meeting with God. And Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he said, but God, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heavens cannot contain you. How much more this temple which I have built. And in verse 41 and 43, Solomon said this, moreover, concerning a foreigner, remember the court of the Gentiles, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your namesake. 
for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your stretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all the foreigner calls to do, that all the people on earth may know your name and fear you, as do the people of Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Solomon's dedicating. He says, man, when a foreigner comes from a far country and he hears of your name and he will hear of your great name. And when he comes to this temple, hear him, meet with him, be with him. And imagine traveling from all over the world to that place and finding a market. Finding greediness. And Jesus in his anger just says, out, out with you. You've turned my father's house into a business when it should be a place of prayer. And how money has become such an obstacle or greed. Loretta and I spent our Christmas in Italy and it broke my heart, man. There was a, there was this. Uh, Loretta's parents have these friends, and uh, she's going. She went blind because of a mishap in, with the doctors. They gave her a liquid that destroyed her eyes, and uh, she's older. She's in her seventies, right, Loretta? And uh, and so, uh, Anita Antonino. Funny enough, he is Madonna's cousin, like the singer Madonna, the cousin. <laughs> So you wouldn't think so. I mean, he's just a guy that works the land. I mean, sweetest guy in the world. And then she came with a rosary, and she's like, look, Raphael, look what happened. Um, this was given to me, and, and, and look, no one touched it, and it broke. And what happened is the metal was, was messed up, and, and, and so the cross came off of it, and I said, this is nothing. This is the, the metal just came off. I mean, it's, it's just not a big deal. But if, and then my mother-in-law said, I think she was hoping for something a little bit deeper than that. And I said, well, there's nothing deeper than that. That's just what happened. And we, I fixed it for her. And, and, uh, and then a couple, about a week later, she, they came over to our house. And um, we got talking a little bit like this. We just got talking about the person of Jesus. And Tonino, you could see he was kicking back. And I was like, what's going on? I said, no one loves you like Jesus. And he said this to me, and this blew my, this, this, I mean, it, it almost makes me want to cry. But he said, Raphael, I went to the priest, and I was in confession. And while I was confessing there, the priest said, hey, Tonino, like that with the accent. Why don't you bring me, do you think you could bring me a, a truckload of rocks, because he was a mason. Tonino looked at me and he says, could he not wait at least that we were done with confession? In that moment, he wanted to meet with God. In that moment, he wanted, he was seeking something of God. 
and he was met with greed. Some of you guys aren't believers here and you've heard God just wants money. God doesn't need your money. God wants your hearts. You. He made everything. He sustains our life. And if you've ever been treated like a tornino, I want you to know that no matter how much people love you on earth, Jesus loves you infinitely more. Infinitely more. And then finally, we looked at Nicodemus. And John tells us about this encounter that you know, it's interesting because the multitudes in, in, chapter, in chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, the multitudes are pressing in because of the signs. And people, people, people just want to see oh, another miracle, another action, another... And, and, and in a sense, Jesus becomes an on, uh, on, on one... I mean, he doesn't want to be a celebrity, but he becomes a celebrity. People come to him but what, but for what he can do. But there was a man... Nicodemus and he pushed closer not because of what Jesus could do he wanted to know who Jesus was and it's interesting huh? because uh, as we looked at these verses as we, looked, as we looked at he as he deals with Peter and then he deals with Nathaniel and he ne- deals with Nicodemus and he ne- deals with John and Andrew and, and you notice that in every situation, it is so personal. In every situation, it's so diverse. In every situation, it's so appropriate. And in every situation, Jesus reveals something of himself. And you know what? He can personally meet you right where you're at. And with Nicodemus, he met him right in the way that he needed to be met. You see, he was a theologian. He was a religious man. He knew he was a teacher of Israel. And in those few verses, in those few words, that that conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus... It's amazing the things that God revealed. You have the need of man. Jesus didn't say to him, you're a really good boy. Just keep being just a little bit better. He said to him, you must be born again. I love that song that we sing from the inside out. Because we have to be recreated. We have to be resurrected. It's not a patch-up job. It's not a band-aid. We need open-heart surgery that only Jesus can do. And right there, I mean, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we're not sinners. You hear the word sinners and, and people get, oh, oh, my goodness. But we're not sinners because we sin. 
We do wrong because we inherently have it in us. Tell Arden, my son, to do something. Don't do that. And he just, that's all he wants to do. We are, we are prone. I mean, we are able to do great things because we are created in the image of God. But it's amazing how we can sell it all out just because of this gravity, this pulling down that we have inside of us. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this is not a band-aid job. You must be born again. But not only do you see the, the condition of man, you actually see the motive of God. How does God feel about me? And Jesus, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. Here we have the doctrine of God. God is love. God loves humanity. God did not come to destroy people's life. He came to save. But not only do we see that, we see what it's going to cost them. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And here, even Jesus, the other, uh, 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 Tom is not here, but Tom, Tom's been, uh, one of these guys that's become a Christian, just, he's, it's very slow, you know, and, 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 and it, it cost him quite a bit. But the other day, he, um, he said to me, Raph, you know, I came back from St. Martin, and I just, I just felt like God told me just to read three chapters a day, and I've been reading through the Gospels. And I don't want to use the word he used, because it was a bit too raw. But he said, man, as I'm reading through the Gospels, Jesus had some guts. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he knows he's going to go to the cross. He prays that he doesn't want to go to the cross. But he goes anyway knowing everything that's going to happen to him. And Jesus reveals the cost as Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He also revealed the inclusion. Who's included? Who's excluded to, to Nicodemus? He says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he communicated the consequences of not receiving and the perishing. And it's interesting because we speak of hell and we speak of uh, things, uh, you know, just. And, and, and funny enough, the word is Gehenna. It, it, it's the place in Jerusalem where you would go through the refuse gate and, and you would take the trash out. And then you would go out and I think it's called the Kidron Valley. It would just go out and there they would, like, like in Captepera when I was a kid. When I, in Captepera when, when I was a kid, they would take all the trash and they would take it out to a mountain and there you would see the, 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 the smoke burning, the trash being burned every day. And it was the waste, the waste of the city. And what, what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not be wasted but have everlasting life. 
And he said, the, the benefits, everlasting life. And this brings me to my second quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an agnostic uh, from Northern Ireland as well. Another, I don't know what you guys drink over there, but I mean, there's, there's genius after genius there. And, uh, and C.S. Lewis, not you, you're the exception. <laughs> Just, but but C.S. Lewis was an uh, atheist, agnostic, uh, um, uh, philosopher, uh, professor, and and. He became, you know, C.S. Lewis is the guy that wrote the books and, and the movies were made from the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia. And his friend was Tolkien, which is the guy that made The Lord of the Rings. Not the movie, but he wrote the books and they made the movies out of it. And Tolkien uh, shared Jesus with, um, with C.S. Lewis. And, event, and, you know, C.S. Lewis was an agnostic and he didn't believe. And, 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 but something was happening within him. Not a caricature. Not a being a good boy, wondering if that was it in life, but something was happening. And in the book, uh, Surprised by Joy, he wasn't expecting it, but he was surprised by joy. He writes this. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene. Night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. You ever feel like that? You ever been there? It's like, I remember I, I went to uh, North Carolina as a non-Christian, and I saw all these people reading the Bible, and I was like, I called my mom right away, and I was like, these people are weird. They read the Bible. And the last thing I wanted to be was a Christian. And he says, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, I was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. I did not see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility, which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal at least walked home on his own feet, but who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for one chance to escape. Maybe you feel like that right here, right now. <laughs> he says, oh, divine mercy. He says, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. And you see, this is the purpose of the book of John. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ who loves you who is not, we cannot make a caricature of him. He is majestic. He is preexistent. And it is a process that happens in our life. But it is a great discovery that begins in our life. And we must allow ourselves to be stimulated to ask, 
questions. What do you seek? What do you want? Who are you? Where do you come from? Where are you going? Realizing that Jesus has the answer and the good intentions for you. That he has a zeal. He is passionate about relationship with you. And that he wants to make your life one of discovery of who God truly is. I, don't, I haven't verified if this is true or not, but I read it, and I've actually said it before. But I guess the, 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 the dictator of North Korea, when there was a famine and there was no food, in order to prevent a revolt, what he did is he made the people believe the sawdust was nutritious. Imagine everybody just eating sawdust, believing that it's actually nutritious. What a lie. It's the same thing that the devil does, holding us back, thinking the mere existence and me and just a mere, just a good boy is all there is to life. Jesus has come to make our life a discovery of him, to enlarge. I mean, it's, it's crazy to enlarge our minds, to enlarge our hearts, to redeem us into what we were made to be. And one final quote. Billy Graham's wife wrote a poem that I, I just feel is it's incredible. She wrote about her relationship with God and about her discoveries of who he was. She says, never let it in, God. Never, please. All this growing loveliness, all these brief moments of fresh pleasure. Never let it end. Let us always be a little breathless at love's beauty. Never let us pause to reason from a sense of duty. Never let us pause to reason out of a sense of duty. No, no, all these brief moments. Let us enjoy these glimpses of beauty. And it was Samuel Rutherford or, or it was um, John Bunyan who was imprisoned for the faith. And as he was, he wrote somewhere, he wrote, hell would be heaven to me if Jesus was there. And heaven would be held to me if Jesus was not there. And then he said this. To me, heaven would be to be able to look through a keyhole every 10,000 years and get a glimpse of Jesus. So guys, let's not make a caricature of Jesus. Let's not hold him as a good guy. 
a great revolutionary guy. Like, like C.S. Lewis says, he has not left that open to us. Not caricatures. Let's open our hearts and open our minds and say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. And I think the greatest sin a person can repent of is our attitude towards Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to you that that you're bigger than us, (laughs) that you are just incredible. And I, I pray, Father, that anyone here today that does not know you that maybe has been disillusioned through people. I pray that they would go past that and see you, Lord. And as we continue studying the book of John, as we get to this amazing story of the woman at the well and you offering living water for the soul, I pray that you will continue to encourage us and enlarge the boundaries and help us to know you deeper and and to enjoy life in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.